0: Glory through suffering. It's a paradox of the Christian faith. We live in a broken world. We live in a really messy world. Let me give you one or two stats from the World Health Organization. Every 20 minutes, 10 women are raped. 190 children are abused. 60 people died of AIDS. Every 20 minutes, that happens. In the 20th century, 200 million people died. That's 5,479 each day through wars, conflicts, massacres, and oppression. We live in a messy world. We live in a really broken world. And here's the paradox of the Christian life. It's quite simple. Glory through suffering. The future outcome for the Christian is reached via the only route. thats the valley of pain, of trials, and temptation, and suffering. It's the only route for the Christian. And I guess this morning I'm at some liberty and freedom. I'm not your pastor, so I can dive into areas perhaps where Dan would be very nervous to go, Uh, but I'm conscious too that we've got to be really careful because this is a tough, tough subject, a really tough subject. Perhaps Dan was being very strategic when he told me uh, on the phone a couple of months ago, you're on this one, as he sons himself in in southern Wales. I don't know if you can sun yourself in southern Wales, Uh, but that's where Dan is currently. So think of the week that you've had. Think of the areas of suffering that you've had to deal with. We know that it's all relative, we know that suffering is very subjective, uh, but think about that. Cast your mind back to the week that you've had. What about the hurt of relationships, words or actions, of your children, of your parents, your brother or sister, wife, husband, colleague, neighbour, girlfriend, boyfriend or best friend? Feeling let down, deserted, perhaps, not cared for, not listened to, devalued. What about physical pain? Three members of our home group alone have been in hospital for operations in the last couple of weeks. What about anxiety and worry? About keeping your job, not having a job, hating your job, starting a new job? What about finances? Property damage in recent floods and storms. Failing exams not as clever as the rest of the course are. Think of the sufferings that you've gone through this week. Are you feeling high as a kite or low as a snake's belly? We live in a messy world, in a broken world. But what are we to do about it? How are we to view uh, this world? Well, we could bury our head in the sand. And pretend it's not happening. And some of us do that. And some Christians do that. Or we could acknowledge it and shrug our shoulders and crack on muttering something like, that's life. Or we could try and understand why the world is as it is. And look to the work of Jesus as the answer of all suffering. And so we're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to spend time here. We're going to look at uh, three points. Here's our first one. Our identity in Christ changes our view of suffering. Our identity in Christ changes our view on suffering. Here's Paul writing to a group of Christians, the Romans, who are suffering. They're suffering because of their trust in the Lord Jesus, because of their belief in him. They're suffering because they're outspoken of the Lord Jesus. And see how verse 7 starts. Now, now, this is part of Paul's wider argument. Which is started long before. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in verse 17. Now if we are children. This is part of a wider argument that Paul is bringing uh, to the church. To the Christians in Rome. Now. Understand Christian there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on in verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See there, if we are children, here's the clause. This makes all the difference. Stop and give thanks if you're a child of God today. Stop and give thanks that you're his. That he's yours. Look how verses 14 and 16 paint this picture. The Spirit of God was at work in you. The Spirit brought about your adoption to sonship. The Spirit enables you to call the creator of this universe, the King of Kings, Father, my Father, a term of deep affection and awe. Christian, stop in your tracks this morning. Stop and give great thanks to God. Through the pain, through the suffering, through the turmoil, all subjective, or relative, no one knows what each is going through. Stop in your tracks and give thanks to God that he's your king. And more, he's your father. Again, cry out to him and call him father this morning. Call him Abba Father. And this clause, it does make all the difference. Because if you're not a Christian, if the Spirit of God is not alive within you, then Paul's words have no meaning for you from here on. So the challenge for you this morning is, would you let the Spirit of God convict you? Convict you of your need of Him? Convict you of your desperate need of Him in a world of brokenness and pain? And Paul goes on, you see, it's your identity in Christ that changes your view of suffering. If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're not only children, we're heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. I'm a person now that's entitled to a piece of the property of God. I now rank as a successor of his Alongside each other, sure. But more importantly, alongside Christ. I'm a co-heir with Christ. It's a joint airship. It's mutual. We share common ground, both Christ and I. And Paul goes on. Therefore, now if we are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is how we're heirs with Christ. We share in his sufferings as we will share in his glory. See, sufferings shouldn't shake us. How easy is that to say? Suffering should not shake us. They should strengthen our faith and be further proof of our salvation. They prove that we're united to him. They prove that we really are the children of God. Suffering is one of the means that God prepares for his glory. Prepares us for his glory. And his glory is the ultimate end of our salvation. read recently an article in The Guardian last um, Saturday from Alice Roberts. It is an article telling people of how to get over how special you think you are. She, says, she writes this, if we follow through the natural order of science, logically, you have to admit science has done a very good job at bringing us down a peg or two. We can no longer view ourselves as a special creation, something created in the image of deity. We can no longer see ourselves as the ultimate destination, the pinnacle of evolution. Our species is just a tiny twig on the massive, dense tree of life. Why is that so difficult to stomach for many of us? And then she concludes her article, You there reading The Observer, you're just a clever ape. Get over it. But there's the question. Why is it so difficult to stomach for many of us that we're just part of uh, this evolution process? And the Bible speaks very differently about this. You are created wonderfully, fearfully. You are created in the image of God, set apart from all other creation. And you were made for something far greater than life holds now. You were made for the glory of, glorification of That you'll receive in Christ. You're created for God's glory. I was reminded again from a tweet of a friend recently. The deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. And Christ has won us for this. You see, your identity in Christ, it changes your view of suffering. Of course we will struggle. Of course we will doubt. Of course in the moment of that suffering, we will ask key questions. But if I'm rooted in him, if I keep coming back as Paul goes on in verse 18, I consider, I reckon, if we come back to this truth, then our identity in Christ, it changes our view of suffering. Well, let's move on. Secondly, Our inevitable suffering, it does connect us with Christ. What does it look like to share in the sufferings of Christ? What does Paul mean when he talks about these? What are these sufferings? Well, I think there's one or two clues around the passage. If you look from verse 20 onwards, you read about the groaning of creation. You read about the creation being in bondage to decay. You see that... Being a part of a world and society that is groaning, it is like being in childbirth, waiting for new birth. Here's one area that I think Paul is pushing us to understand are the sufferings of Christ. It's in everyday living. It's in the tough situations of life. It's in those things that we described about with relationships and with anxiety wider things, bodies that are deteriorating, a death that is looming. Tom Finney, the great footballer, died of 91 years of age this week. Julie Sillatou, age 49, was killed by masonry, falling on her car uh, just yesterday. The world is crying, is groaning. It wants to come to an end storms that come crashing, the floodwaters that keep rising. These are all consequences of a broken world. Crying and groaning, waiting for the end as we the Christian read about. That's one area that I think Paul is helping us understand the sufferings that we go through with Christ. As Christ suffered those things as he entered the world, as he lived But secondly, and I guess more importantly, where Paul is directing the focus of the Christians, is in the sufferings for believers that arise from their identification in Christ. Jump down with me to verse 35 and 36 of chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble... Or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. See, most of us haven't experienced such things persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Most of us haven't experienced those things, but we might. In time, there could be a time that we might. What might we expect as believers, as Christians in the world today? Suffer because of who we are, because of our our identity being in Christ. What about being ostracised at work? The room goes quiet when you walk in. What about just being called names in school? What about being made fun of? In the sports club. I remember playing uh, for a football team. Where there was one guy called Wamo, And he used to set uh, myself and my friends. A strip out that was uh, usually hanging up uh, on a peg. He used to set it out in the shape of a cross. Uh, And as soon as we walked into the changing room. He'd be on his knees. uh, Praying um, to the east. I think he got one or two religions quite mixed up. Uh, But he'd be there and he'd be praying as we walked in. Um, He'd be going all the time. At us because we were Christians. Small. For big. At the time for you because it's subjective. Pain and suffering is subjective and it's relative to you. What other experience today could be classed as specific suffering believers? How about knowing that loved ones, friends and family that we dearly love who don't know Jesus... And we plead with them to come to know him. And they refuse to listen to that plea. Could that be classed as suffering for the Christian? Yeah. And so how should we deal with suffering? What should we do with it? Well, first of all, we shouldn't be surprised by it. It's the example of Jesus Christ. And we're called to be united to Him. We are united to Him. And Christ has gone before us. And He suffered the worst ever possible suffering. Don't be shaken by it. That's the effects of others who aren't Christians watching you. It could be devastating. And the early martyrs were were testimony to this. Many others became Christians because of the martyr's faithful testimony. To lives that held out Christ. Don't doubt the truth of your salvation because you suffer. Do not doubt God's love. As some would want you to believe. Do not doubt God's power. They say that God, if God has the power to prevent his people from suffering. Well, why doesn't he use it? Don't doubt that. Do not doubt that you are a Christian if you suffer. That God doesn't care for you because you are not one of his children. So often Christians believe that when they become a Christian, they never should face trials or troubles. That life would get so much better. And when trials and tribulations come along, they say something like, I'm not sure that I am a Christian because I suffer in this way. I should have more faith. If you suffer, do not doubt that you are a Christian. And do not begrudge God. Do not allow such a thought to enter your mind or question, why is this happening to me? See, Paul goes on to say there's no promise given in this life of relief or reprieve. There's no promise of improvement on our lot this side of heaven to understand that this is what the bible teaches it's the way of christ it's the suffering servant right up to the cross paul writes to the church in rome who is suffering and he gives them hints that things aren't going to get better christianity is not an, an opiate of his people to make you feel happier or forget your troubles Paul doesn't teach the Christians to rise up and do something about their sufferings. Christianity is not a movement to reform the world or do away with trouble. If we bind ourselves up, we will achieve success. Of course we can help, of course we can play our part. But Christianity is not a movement to reform this world in these ways. And do not merely resign to the fact that you're beaten. See, Paul in verse 37 says, no, no, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors, even though this is our current state. See, philosophers have come before and tried to make some understanding of suffering. Bertrand Russell, a recent philosopher, says this. Mankind is mad and so is the world. Let's make it a little more tolerable for the time being. But the thing is, so many Christians and churches think similar. And we escape into church from our life. We forget about our troubles for a while and listen to the lovely teaching about Jesus. But Paul says differently. He says, get ready for suffering. He says it's part and parcel of the Christian life. But he also says that we're more than conquerors. There's a note of triumph in his voice. Not of triumphalism, but of triumph. See, yes, inevitable suffering connects us with Christ. And finally... Uh, Let's just dive into this last point. See, our present suffering is incomparable to sharing in the glory of Christ. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider, I reckon, Paul starts this verse, I've reasoned, I've come to this understanding. I've worked it out. See, Paul has a greater view of salvation than me so often. Salvation is not just about forgiveness, however great that is. Salvation is about putting man back to where he was before, perfect. And yet with a little bit more, glorification. Salvation is the bringing back of what was lost, the glorification of man. Look at verse 17 at the end and in verse 18. Verse 17, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here's the chief end of our salvation. It is your glorification. It is the Christian's glorification. A full and entire deliverance from sin and evil. And its effect on our lives in every and any way. We become the perfect human being. We become like Christ. We share in his glory. And that glory will be revealed in us. We will be taken beyond what Adam was. The great Codaline song of 2013, I've Got High Hopes takes me back to where we started. High hope, and the world keeps spinning. But you, Christian, you have a high hope, and it's glorification. So what does that look like for us today? Paul's painted this picture so clearly for the Christians here in Rome that we may count ourselves dead to sin, Alive to God. We're not under the dominion of sin. And yet, we're in the process of being sanctified. It is tough. There will be trials. There will be suffering. But Paul's note is of triumph. And he has this because of his correct view of this age in the present time. Now let's look at suffering. And understand that it's part of life. Not bury our head in the sand. Deal with it as an individual, as a family, as a church. Recognize it that many of us will be suffering at this present time. But Paul also has a correct view of the age to come. There's a triumphant tone. The glorification that was of Christ will be revealed in us. There's the paradox. It's glory through suffering. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition, which when investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. Why is the paradox glory through suffering true? Well, it's because that's the way of the Lord Jesus. He came to serve, not to be served. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Christian, if you're struggling, if you're suffering today, know that Christ has been before you. And know that this suffering, Our present suffering is incomparable to sharing in the glory of Christ. Oh, how that might seem so shallow to you this morning. Oh, how that might seem so unrealistic. But what does Paul do? He reckons. He's come to that point of recognizing, of considering, of knowing the Christians will face sufferings and trials and tribulations of many kinds. What do you have to do this morning to understand as Paul does, to recognize, to consider that present suffering is incomparable to sharing in the glory of Christ. Your identity in Christ changes your view of suffering, one. Inevitable suffering connects us with Christ, two. And three, present suffering is incomparable to sharing in the glory of Christ. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul states it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's close uh, with this verse. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles. Are achieving for us an eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. And so. We fix our eyes. Not on what is seen. But on what is unseen. Unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.